Welcome back, everybody, to this episode of What's Next with Emily Burgess. Emily's a former tennis player from the University of Connecticut, and she's now doing great things as a dietitian. In this episode, we talk about her, her, her playing days at, at UConn, um, what forced her to put down the racket, and how that, and how that What's Next moment played out for her. Um, we talk about how she moved into grad school at West Virginia, and now how she's landed jobs in, in here in Boston. Um, Emily has a, good, a lot of great tips from, from going, fighting through adversity to how to eat well and how to network and try to get the job you love. So sit back, relax. This is a great episode. I know you're gonna enjoy it with the one, the only, Emily Burgess. All right, welcome back to What's Next. Today we have Emily Burgess. Emily's a friend of mine from uh, our hometown. We grew up in Sony, Connecticut. Uh, Emily played tennis at UConn, and now she's a registered dietitian. Um, and luckily, she's in the Boston area, so it was very easy. And for the record, this is our first live interview. like Well, not live, but in person. So um, we're trying to figure it out as we go. So hopefully this goes well. Em, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. Um, so tell us your story. Like, I mean, I know your story, but tell everybody else like how you got into tennis, how you got into UConn. Yeah, so I grew up in Stonington, Connecticut, as Kevin said. Um, I was competing in USTA, which is um, United States Tennis Association, playing tournaments since I was about seven years old. Um, I was completely committed to it. I practiced every day, traveled for tournaments all over the all over New England, um, and I had a goal of playing college tennis. Um, I gave up a lot of aspects of high school to travel for teams, travel for practices, um, and spent most of my time playing. Um, so during high school, I ended up taking time off from tournaments and I decided to play for my high school team. Completely fell in love with it, loved the team atmosphere. Uh, tennis is a really individualized sport, so I really enjoyed those few months of being yeah. part of a team. Um, so then senior year of high school came around, got recruited to go play for the University of Massachusetts. Um, I was there for a year, wasn't getting a lot of playing time. I practiced every day, was lifting every day, uh, huge time commitment, and really wasn't getting that match play that I had hoped for. Mm -hmm. So halfway through that year, I then decided that I wanted to transfer to UConn, um, and I was accepted, and the coach allowed me to come onto the team for my sophomore year. Sophomore year at UConn, landed a spot on the starting lineup, was playing um, doubles only. Mm -hmm. So in college tennis, you can play both singles and doubles, whereas in high school, you can either you can only do one or the other. Huh. So yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, um, you think in, you would think in high school, it's it's, it's opposite. You can kind right. of do it every month, and I then in college, too. it's more special. Right. So in college, you can play both. So our starting lineup for singles at UConn was phenomenal. Like mm -hmm. the girls came from all over the United States. Um, I couldn't crack it. Um, but I landed a spot on this doubles lineup, was traveling, was having an absolute blast. The girls were amazing. The team atmosphere was fun. I loved having that UConn team spirit. Um, and then halfway through sophomore year, um, I lost my spot. Mm -hmm. uh, so a girl came on, took my double spot. And at that moment, I kind of realized that I was no longer had 
a starting lineup spot anymore. Mm -hmm. I was still going to be practicing every day, lifting every day, having 90% of my day committed to that team. Right. So at that point, I kind of had to make a decision where my grades had never been that great. I had committed my entire life to playing tennis. And at that moment, I could either put my racket down and walk away and kind of start fresh or continue to play every day and not get any match play. So at that point, I decided to put my racket down Mm -hmm. and I basically took on college without athletics. I had to start over. Um, I had to get new. I found new friends, find a major. I had been undeclared for so long. And I just completely focused on my education. Um, and I had a blast. I mm-hmm. mean, I was, I could go out on the weekends. Right. I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up taking an intro nutrition class my sophomore year. And the professor of that class actually is what got me hooked to nutrition in general. I loved the science behind it. I've always been a math science person. So everything just kind of made sense mm-hmm. to me. And I also loved how that particular field you could apply to yourself completely, you know? Um, So I continued with that path. I wanted to become a dietitian. Um, I had heard of dietitians. I didn't really know exactly what they could do in the future, Um, but I committed to it. Um, And then senior year of college matched to a uh, master's and internship program down in West Virginia which was very far away from home. I had never lived outside New England. So moved down there for two years, uh, completed my master's degree and a dietetic internship, which is required to sit for the dietitian exam. Mm -hmm. Um, So then that was this past May, so 2017, and passed the RD exam a couple months later. Um, And then I landed a job as an inpatient clinical dietitian at St. Elizabeth's Medical Center, um, right outside of Boston. Awesome. Now that's a lot. But let me t- let's go back to the time when you put the racket down. Mm-hmm. Sure. Now, you know, you play tennis your whole life, and I'm sure your parents are well invested in into yeah. you as an athlete. Yeah. I mean, obviously as a daughter, mm-hmm. but as an athlete, mm-hmm. were you ever apprehensive? to put the racket down in fear of maybe disappointing people around you? Like, like what was that like? Did it, was it hard? Just was it an easy decision or take us through that decision? Oh no. Um, I mean, after I had realized that I no longer had a spot on the lineup, I thought about it for weeks, Yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks. Didn't talk to my parents about it. I mean, I was petrified. The thought of even bringing up quitting or stopping playing tennis when they had devoted so much of their life to helping me get to where I was, was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even want to question them. I didn't want them to feel like I had taken all their time and money for granted. Um, And so weeks went on. I was still going to practice and I ended up calling up my parents, kind of telling them what what had gone on, um, that I was no longer having a, I had no longer had a spot. Um, And they said, does it make you happy anymore? Mm -hmm. And I said, I said, no. I said, I finally got to what I wanted. And it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be like. Um, So at that point, they were like, well, this is going to be your decision. We're not going to hold it against you. We're not going to 
be upset with you. We got You got to what you wanted, and we helped you get there, and that's all that matters. From where you take it from there, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I felt confident enough to put my racket down because mm-hmm. I knew that they were behind me 100%. So it's as if, like, it's really like you had to – you ended that – or you started that what's next period. Yes. That were – the whole point of this podcast, really, mm-hmm. you started that period sooner than most, sooner yes. than most, and yes. you had to not only redefine yourself as a as be, as a former athlete, but also mm-hmm. as a college student. Yeah. You had to redefine who you were at UConn. Yeah, like I mean, you somewhat have an an advantage over me and over everybody else, almost that we've interviewed, mm-hmm. who have four years of being an athlete and then they go. And have and struggle in their early twenties, whereas you're struggling. You had to struggle to find your identity, right? Way sooner, way right? sooner, yeah. And so that, like, talk about that struggle. Like, was it a struggle to, you know, to find something you're interested in in mm-hmm. classes? Mm-hmm. Was it something you knew right away? Like, how did you find that quote unquote happiness? So it, no, I, I mean, for for weeks, I didn't really know what to do with my time. I mean, I my. For two years of college, I had had a set schedule mm-hmm. from right. seven to six, pretty much, between practices and lifts. So um, I took classes in anything that interests me. I went to go meet with a new advisor because I was no longer part of the student-athlete advisor mm-hmm. situation. Um, and she kind of gave me a list and was like, just pick five things that are interesting to you. Anything. So I created a new schedule for myself, went to those classes. Um, and like I said before, my professor in that intro to nutrition class was amazing. I mean, he just sold me on what he was teaching and how it could apply to you and how you could help other people um, live a better life. And, has, and as, you, as you and everyone knows, the world of food is changing every single day. I mean, every portion size is getting bigger. The different inventions of different types of food is Mm -hmm. expanding every single day. So I just thought that it was so relatable and very realistic to what was going on in the world. And I was just very, very intrigued. And also from a student athlete perspective, I had worked with a dietitian within athletics. So I understood the role that food and health and nutrition plays in sports performance. And that was another key thing as to why I went into what I went into, um, because I really enjoy the fuel and the athletic part of it. Um, so that's what I would love to do long term. So it was kind of an unknown passion yes. that you found very quickly, yes, which absolutely. I'm super envious yes. of. <laughs> and because I think people now, like who are in our age, mm-hmm. you know, a couple years out of sports, a couple years out of college or grad mm-hmm. school, would it be? And they're in something that they still that they thought maybe they'd like, but maybe it's just what their parents wanted, or yeah. it's what their friends mm-hmm. picture them be, ha, doing. Yeah. Whereas with you, it's like I'm just gonna go figure out what I kind of like, five mm-hmm. things that I like, mm-hmm. and then one of them landed. Like that's yeah. so that's so awesome, and is yeah. that is your passion, right? It now. was. It was 100 yeah. percent what I felt like I should be doing. Um, it just, it captured so many aspects of myself. Like I had always loved to cook. Mm -hmm. I loved athletics. I loved, um, traveling and trying new foods. So it was kind of like an incorporation of a bunch of things that I was really interested in all in one package. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was 
it just kind of clicked with me and I got involved. I joined the nutrition club at UConn. Um, I started different events on campus. So I would do um, handing out snacks at the library during finals time Mm -hmm. and it was a huge success and it was just it was fun because you were doing things that everyone loves food yeah you know so i just thought it was very it was very different but it was also kind of the same of what i had been doing for a long time Mm -hmm. were there any well let me just take take a step back as an athlete Mm -hmm. you work with nutritionists Mm -hmm. and you were on the student athlete diet yep whereas for me my diet was not great at all Uh it was oh i worked out twice today Right. So I'm just going to eat whatever I want and yeah. kind of drink whatever I want. Right. Now, where, did you find out, did you, like when you left the game, mm-hmm. did you say, wow, what I was doing as an athlete, I can't get away with right now? Right. Or were there any changes, diet, dietary changes you, you had to make? Or was there anything that you changed after taking or getting into this field? Um, I'm going to say no, just because no. I was still sustaining activity. I loved I love, I love working out. I love getting outside. I love running. So I still kept up with my physical activity and, um, diet wise, especially in the, the athlete world, like you said, you think if you work out all day, you can eat whatever you want. Yeah. And generally at a young age between 18 and 21, that's usually true. But what the impact of that sports nutritionist that I worked with or dietitian is that she was teaching you what you need to know post-grad is how mm-hmm. to learn, take what you were learning in that moment and apply that to when you were no longer an athlete and you were, your metabolism slows down, mm-hmm. what you need to be eating every day. Um, but also trying to drill into those athletes' heads that if they were eating better, they could probably be performing 10 times better than they were. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so as take me for an example, I'm mm-hmm. a, I was a senior in college and drinking most of the week. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have been yep. right. Eating yep. pizza, eating yep. chicken, you know, going out on Tuesday night wing nights. Yep. Like, and I thought that could have transferred into my adult life. Right. Assuming I just worked out and by worked out, it's like, oh, I went for two mile run today. Like, and it didn't work. And I've been experimenting. We were talking before this about the whole 30 diet and how I've kind of been feeling good and I've been regimented. Mm -hmm. Like what are some of the most important things that you would tell those athletes who are done playing sports? Like nutritionally, what do they need to be conscious of? Is it drinking more water? Is it like, what changes do you have to make or does it depend on the person? Um, It definitely depends on the person, but I think... What I like to tell people is that they need to find a specific lifestyle balance or general nutrition changes that, they, that, that fit their particular lifestyle. Every single person's lifestyle is different, whether what it's what job they're going to do, whether they're going to be sitting at a desk six or seven hours a day like I do and probably what you do. Or there's those people who are a teacher who are up and moving all day. Mm-hmm. There is people who work at a hospital and are a nurse and they're up on their feet all day. So it definitely just depends. Um, so I mean, generally it is finding that, that balance or that 80, 20 balance is what I like to say. Yeah. We, I see that on your Instagram yeah. for those who are listening, we'll get into it later, but Emily has this Instagram called and the dietitian. That's how we refer to her and that's how everyone <laughs> should refer to her. But yeah, she talks about the 80, 20, the yep. 80, 20 diet, like, or yeah. 
A20 balance. Balance. Sorry. So what that means is it's, I have a philosophy that uh, a healthy lifestyle for anyone is 80% what you put in your body and 20% how you use your body. So exercise and fuel. So if you're eating well 80% of the time, it's okay to cheat 20% of the time. Mm. And with same with exercise. You want to be making sure that you're fitting in that exercise because um, that's what complements that 80-20. Um, so finding a particular – doesn't have to be a regimen, but just trying to find a balance and making sure that you are not restricting yourself. Um, if you're eating well five or six days a week all day, go out on a Saturday night and have that cheeseburger or go have a beer at a baseball game on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So just kind of trying to figure out where that balances with what your new lifestyle is. Now you say eating well. Mm-hmm. I, you hear that a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. I, eat, I ate well this week or you have to go eat well. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you, eating okay. well? Um, eating well to me means um, – I like to say as close to the farm as possible. So foods that are not processed, that are not prepackaged, that are not vacuum sealed. So anything that you are preparing yourself, you know exactly what's going into it. So that could be um, cooking some grilled chicken in your kitchen and putting some seasoning on it that you know exactly what's going in it. Everything but the bagel. Everything, yeah. Right? That's a good seasoning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trader Joe's. Oh, yeah. Um, so cooking at home and using whole fruits and vegetables, um, lean cuts of meat, whole grains, making sure that you're getting in half, half whole grains a day. So that's like whole wheat bread, um, brown rice, Mm -hmm. any of those, um, food products, uh, a little bit of dairy for calcium, uh, and vitamin D, um, and just kind of fit in as little processed foods as possible so a couple episodes ago we were talking with or neil and i were talking about the whole the whole 30 diet mm-hmm. and we were just talking about this before and the whole 30 diet i was i was telling emily that i've been doing it in moderation mm-hmm. not not completely but mm-hmm. it's some similar to that no no processed foods yep. no sugars yeah but there's no breads yeah no wheat breads no yep. rice no grains like is that something that you recommend to like rebalance or or like reset yourself or so to be honest i am the kind of dietitian that doesn't like to prescribe diets mm-hmm. okay um, diets can regardless of what diet you're doing whether it's whole 30 whether it's paleo whether it's vegan whether it's i mean there's crazy amounts of diets right. out there in the, in the world so regardless of what kind of diet you are doing, something is going to be restrictive or restricted. Um, and I try to not ever encourage diets just because I believe that they're for short, short-term short success. Um, people go on a diet for a month and then they lose it. And mm-hmm. then they go for a week and they go crazy. And then they gain all the way back that they just lost over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. So I think that you can have absolutely everything as long as it's in moderation. If you're going to have that cheeseburger on Saturday, don't have a cheeseburger during the week. Or on Sunday. Or Or on on Sunday. Right. (laughs) So just making sure that you are balancing it out. I mean, being being smart about it and knowing that at the age that we are at now, our metabolisms aren't crazy fast where you're 14 years old and you can have eight meals a day and not gain a Mm -hmm. pound. Mm -hmm. So it's all about just kind of incorporating everything in your life, but 
in small aspects and kind of finding where that balance works for you. Mm-hmm. Does everybody need a dietitian? Do you think? <laughs> Uh, I mean, in a perfect world. Yeah. Well, well, for your business, yes. 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 Everybody needs to go to Emily yes, to, as absolutely. a dietitian. But in reality, um, I mean, honestly, dietitians are there as educators, as people who um, we want clients and patients to come to us for questions, for guidance. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not the one putting the food in their mouth. Right. They're going to be the have. They're they're ha- they have to be the ones to make the tough decisions to say. I'm committed to this, I am going to make these changes, and I'm going to apply this to my life. We can only do so much. We can be there as um, kind of like a backboard for ideas, like should I try this, or um, should I do the Whole30 diet versus the Paleo diet? So Mm -hmm. we can kind of be a backboard for those ideas um, and kind of encourage what we think is the better option. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, it's that person's decision. Right. Yeah. What are some of the most, I mean, you've been a dietitian. I mean, you graduated about a year ago, right, Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. uh, West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And you've been working or in the field for about a year. Is that right? About about six to eight months. Okay. So in your your short time, Uh what are some of the most common problems, dietary issues that you see, whether at the hospital or just with your friends and family that that are recurring? I would say going back to the diet, the diet issue. Going back to the diet. Yeah. Yeah. I would say people thinking or joining joining in on these bandwagon fads like let me cook everything in coconut oil. <laughs> you know, like you see mm-hmm. you, you see an ad on TV or on the internet or even on Instagram like if you talk about coconut oil it's going to show up in your Instagram feed which beyond is creepy to me but <laughs> it still happens. Oh, I know. So it's people thinking that they ha- they have to hop on these nutrition and fitness bandwagons as soon as they start coming up when there's no research to back up any of this stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, like I said, coconut oil, whether it's doing the paleo diet, like that's become huge. Whole30 has um, become glu- huge too. Whole30 has too, yeah. or gluten-free. Mm-hmm. People who are becoming gluten-free when they don't have celiac disease or a gluten intolerance. You know? right. I mean so that's the big fad. Right. I can't have gluten. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a lot of it's a lot of these fads that people get hooked on and they think that this is what I need to be doing when dietitians promote a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean I mean I think I see it happen all the time. People are like, Oh, I, I'm gluten free now, so mm-hmm. nothing can come to holiday dinner or whatever it is right. with with gluten. But I mean, that some people never have been gluten free until it became a fad, and exactly. I see it more and more. Exactly, for sure. Exactly. Um, so at work, so let's talk about work for a second. Like your your job at Saney's, and everybody, sure. by the way, I don't want to. Emily has been gotten a verbal offer today for a new job. Yes. Um, working in um, in Cambridge here in Boston, mm-hmm. but but let's talk about Saney's. What are the day to what's the day to day there like working sure. as a new nutritionist in a hospital? Yeah, so I work as a clinical inpatient dietitian um, up in Brighton, mm-hmm. and basically my typical day is um, working with a patient load anywhere between 10 to 15 patients a day. Um, we are extremely busy to the point where I don't get to go talk to all of my patients every day, which is unfortunate, but I go through... Um, their medical charts when it comes to labs, medications that they're on, any surgeries that they've had or going to be having, what their diagnosis is, if they have any pressure ulcers, um, what their body mass index is Mm -hmm. or BMI. 
uh, age. So a lot of t a lot of these factors come into point when you're assessing the patient. So you first initial initial assessment, looking at the general overview. If you're still kind of not really understanding what's going on, that's when you want to go talk to the patient. Um, and then also I do a lot of diet education. So patients who come out of heart surgery or if they've had a bowel resection from an obstruction, uh, you go talk to them about what dietary changes they need to be making or for cancer patients, um, people who have had bariatric surgery, which is basically removing part of your stomach to help you lose weight. Uh, um, so there's a lot of different diets that kind of come into play, which mm -hmm. makes your job interesting because you right. see something new pretty much every hour. Right. Um, crazy stories. Uh, a lot of people. Can you tell any of them? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so give us one. So I actually, this is, it's kind of a sad story, but um, he was an amazing guy and he actually was diagnosed with gastric cancer um, a month prior to when I saw him. So he basically had a 180 in about a month and he, so he ended up having his entire stomach removed oh to get rid God. of the cancer. He was then cancer free, but due to his very severe surgery, his entire digestive tract was then changed. Mm -hmm. So then we had to go step by step as to what he could eat, what he couldn't eat, because a lot of the issues that come with removing of your stomach is what's called dumping syndrome, which is when you eat a very concentrated amount of um, food or high, sh high sugar or carbs, and it basically just gets rapidly digested through your system. Um, and it can cause him a lot of stomach pain and distension. Um, because there's not that pouch to hold that food when you're when you're digesting it. So it was kind of cool working with him, kind of basically restarting eating again, um, basically from the very beginning, right. which is very difficult for a 60, 64, 65 year old man. Um, so that was that was one of my more interesting. It must, it must have been harder for him psychologically. Oh, absolutely. Rather than like physically, yep. right? Because yeah. it's like I want to eat whatever it is. Yeah. And maybe you can't. Either. Yeah. And I, I, I'd go crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it was a huge, huge change for him. Um. So for those, I mean, we can, I can talk about your job all day yeah. and like what your day to day. But mm -hmm. for someone who's maybe in college right now and they're maybe this piques their interest, what's the process like to become a dietitian? Like, do you have to? Like, what are the, the steps and the obstacles that you have to get okay. through in order to become where you are now? Okay, so um, to become a dietitian, you basically have to have the undergraduate or bachelor's class requirements um, to then be able to apply to a dietetic internship. So dietetic internships are basically nine to ten months of unpaid work. So you are working through food service, um, inpatient, at a hospital, working in the community, working with sports nutrition. Mm -hmm. um, and then so you're kind of getting exposed to a lot of the different fields that you could potentially go into as a dietitian. So during your undergraduate or if you finish school and then decide that you want to become a dietitian, you actually have to go back to uh -huh. school to get all those fundamental courses like biochemistry, um, organic chemistry, mm -hmm. biology, all that kind of stuff. So then you get you apply to the internships, you get you get an internship, you complete it, and then once you finish the internship, you then have to sit for the registered dietitian exam. Which is which is how long? Or like 
Is that like the big? Is it that's like the big, big exam? It's like the bar exam for me. Like yes, it's the big exactly. Test. Yeah. It's the big test. You pass it once, you're done. Yep. So um, you study for that, you pass that exam, and then you're good. <laughs> um, so that certification, you have to just continue to do education credits, and you have to basically um, sustain your credential right. every five years. You have to gain a certain amount of education mm -hmm. credits. Um, but that's kind of like the general process as to how you get that credential. And, and then you can start applying almost anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. Traditionally, where do they, where do registered dietitians end up? Just hospitals or other places? It can honestly be anywhere. I mean, hospitals is very common just because there's a higher need for them because mm -hmm. bigger hospitals need more people. Um, you can go work at a community center like a YMCA mm -hmm. and work there counseling people. You can work for a school. Um, for a food service company like mm -hmm. um, Cisco, Airmark, um, Morrison. Oh, that's right. So you can kind of work um, in the kitchen mm -hmm. and kind of learn the food service background. Um, you can work in sports nutrition. Right. So you can work for We were talking gym. about that earlier, how yeah. maybe that's the goal. Yeah, right? so that is the goal for me. And I think um, it would probably be the goal for most former athletes who yes. are getting into this field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because for me, why sports nutrition is so interesting is because you're dealing with people who genuinely really care. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with people who are motivated. You're dealing with people who want to fuel their bodies properly. Um, whereas not, I would say almost 80% of the people that I go talk to at a hospital don't want to listen to me. <laughs> You walk into the room and say that you're the dietitian, and they roll their eyes or they say, I don't want to talk to you right now. Because um, they don't want to be told what to eat. Right. They don't want to be told to change what they're doing. Um, but and you and you and you want to like empathize with them and you want to like leave, but you're doing your job. Mm -hmm. um, but you also with the instinct of a dietitian or most females in general, you want to help people. You want them to listen to you and that you're not doing anything that's going to impact them negatively and that you're just trying to get them out of there. Right. But, but working with people in athletics, they want to listen to you. They want to make those changes. They want to try new things. So that's what's kind of really intriguing to me about working in sports as a dietitian. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, maybe the next step is what, maybe go work for a sports team somewhere or a college right is that is that something that is feasible yeah so this so the world of sports nutrition um is very small right now but it's growing mm -hmm. so back 10 10 15 years ago there was only two full-time sports sessions in the country <laughs> and now there's over probably 30 or 50 don't quote me on that number but no, i'm just guessing we'll fact check guessing. you yeah <laughs> um so it's growing rapidly, and a lot of sports teams, and they're the professional, college, or high school level, are really realizing the importance of nutrition and fueling for performance. Um, and those schools that do have that full time full time dietitian, they're now spreading the word like, "Oh my gosh, my athletes are loving it. They're playing better. They're feeling better. Um, it's just made a huge impact." They have. Um, different fueling stations on their campus so athletes can go during between classes and go grab a snack or grab something before practice after mm -hmm. practice and just having that um, extra set of eyes on them helping right. helping them basically fuel for performance it's yeah like, i mean at quinnipiac we didn't have a dietitian until my senior year probably uh -huh. and it was a huge change yeah like she came on full-time she was a professor there before but she became full-time yep for the athletes, mm -hmm. and our coach, who's pretty old school, was 
not having it. You know, he was yeah. kind of like, no, like we're going to eat you know, steak and cheese grinders on the bus ride there yeah. and we're going to do what we want to do. And yeah. she said, no, like you're going to yeah. eat a cliff bar and you're yeah. going to have fruits. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge change. So I can see how the industry is growing, at least at the division one level. Yeah. No, at division one level, it definitely is growing dramatically. And I think from me reading and learning a lot about this particular field um, is that a lot of schools don't want to pay for it. Right. They don't want to spend that money on having someone tell their athletes what to eat when the coach or the strength trainers or the uh, physical therapists or the athletic trainers think that they can do that job, mm-hmm. which they, they are educated. They know what they're talking about to some extent, but we as dietitians went to school for generally over five or six years for this particular thing. And we're, like, I'm not going to go into a school, work as a sports dietitian, and if an athlete comes up to me asking me what the proper technique is for a deadlift, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Like, I'm going to go, oh, go talk to the strength coach. Like, I'm going to refer to another professional because that's out of my scope of practice. And that's what I kind of feel is they're lacking that and they're just kind of having a guessing game is that they think that's what the, uh, what they should be doing, but each athlete is so different. Each sport is so different. Mm-hmm. The way that they should be fueling up for a practice or fueling up for a, a game. So like a cross-country runner is going to be eating so much differently than a football player. Like football players can eat like 6,000 calories a day. Must be nice. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> yeah. But like it's so, it's it's just a whole... Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it is that it's a, it's a challenge in that aspect that... Every player is different and every sport is different. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get it. It's not like you're doing the same thing over and over right. again. It's, every, exactly. it's a case. It's a case exactly. study. Every case is different. Exactly. Which is really interesting. And you're kind of taking this passion into something personally too in mm-hmm. like maybe starting your own business or, yes. or resource for people. Yep. Um, I mean, we see it. We follow you on Instagram. I'm the dietitian. Uh-huh. I'm plugging you. Uh-huh. Um, and com. Yep. I mean, we'll p- link this all up in the show notes afterwards, but tell us about that process. Like what's, what's motivating that? Sure. Um, so I kind of started, uh, my website, which is emilyburgess.com as kind of a way to share my love for education and food, um, with the world. Basically I've kind of developed my own little client base from it just in a very short period of time. I've had people reach out to me looking for meal plans, looking for, um, going back to those diets, like what's your opinion on this? Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of as it's almost like a networking tool, to be honest. Um, it's, I'm just starting out with it. It's, it's been really fun. Um, and I've kind of been more on the Instagram side of it as posting photos and kind of getting my love for food out there, sharing recipes with people, um, giving people ideas on what they could be cooking at home for their families. And most of it is pr- they're easy recipes. So mm-hmm. it's very, um, be, you can be very receptive, receptive to it. Um, but for right now, I'm just kind of having fun with it long-term. I hope to have that website be the website for my own private practice down mm-hmm. the road. Um, but that could be in like 15, 20 years from now. Or it could be next year. It could. Who knows? You never know. I mean, you're inspiring me and yeah. my fiance here. I will say we have quest bars in, in the oh, cupboard because, cool. because she'll be like, oh, do you see Emily likes these quest bars? Let's uh-huh. try them out. And yeah. so we're, we're on the bandwagon here. Very nice. <laughs> um, all right, we're getting a little closer to the end. I don't want to take too much of your time, but 
Um, let's. This is. There's some questions we ask every interviewee, and mm-hmm. one of them is, you know, if if you were to talk to his current junior or senior in college, mm-hmm. who may be, you know, coming upon that time when colleges, I mean, sports are ending for them, and yeah, that athlete identity is being taken away from them. Yeah. Um, and they're trying to figure out what to do, whether it be become a dietitianist, become a lawyer, become whatever it is. Like, what's, what's some advice you give to them? What should they be doing to seek out that passion that you found? Okay. Um, definitely try new things. Try something that you've never never thought you'd be interested in because you never know you could love it. Um, when it comes to when you do find that niche of something that you've tried, persistence is everything. You are – nothing is going to be handed to you. You absolutely have to get out of your comfort zone and make sure that you are being the advocate for yourself. Um, and that is also never being afraid to reach out to people. Everyone wants to help you. There is a very small percentage of people who will ignore you, but that's where that persistence comes in. If you email them enough, they will respond to you. Um, and definitely just taking anything that like, so from, from my perspective, I didn't get matched to my number one internship. So I had to take that negative outcome and try to find something positive out of it. I was still getting an internship. I was still going to get to where I wanted, even though it wasn't in the place that I wanted, I still was going to get that. So taking any negative event in your life, whether it's not getting into the program of your choice, whether it's not getting the job that you want, trying to take that negative situation and make it something positive because in my mind, dwelling on the past or anything that anything negative that's happened to you is only going to prevent you from finding something that you love. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, I'm getting a little off, but it's, yeah. it's the athlete in us. It's yeah. the athlete in all of us in this with this community here. It's mm-hmm. you know, after a match, it's like, oh, I sucked that day. But yeah. you're going to go back and try to be better, right? And you're not going to just dwell on it. I mean, right. there are times when we all dwell on stuff, right. but. But I think that's yeah. that's what there's some matches that still hurt. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, but, yeah. but the yeah. drive to succeed is right. what I think lies within each one of us, yeah. athlete or non-athlete. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I think I'm seeing it right here in front of me. Like you're yeah. just like bad experience, yeah. whatever. Let's forget about it and go yeah. on to the next thing. And I think mm-hmm. that's super important. Yeah, it's a good, great point there. Yeah. Um, what are some resources, books, podcasts, other than our podcast? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> books, podcasts, books that have helped you along the way. From even so, even as an athlete. So uh, thinking about this, I to be completely honest, the only books that I have read in the past five years have been textbooks mm-hmm. and study manuals. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my free time has been studying for whether that's a job interview, whether that's the exam, whether that's a grad school exam. So my hopes for the future is to start reading more books for pleasure. Um, I have started reading. Um, a sports nutrition manual by Nancy Clark, who is a very, very well-known sports dietitian in the Boston Mm -hmm. area. So her book, I've started reading that in detail, just kind of getting myself um, updated on what the new methods are, what some of the new research is in the sports nutrition world. So her book is amazing. Um, And then I also just got a book that's called How Not to Die, the name oh. sounds very interesting mm-hmm. to me. So I'm looking at uh, going to start reading that as well. And then I've also started reading the um, health and wellness section of the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And it's been having some actually really interesting articles about 
um, topics that are very prevalent to what I'm doing right now. So there was an article a couple of days ago that was about um, supplements in hospitals. So it was talking about that these supplements that the hospitals are providing are basically made up of artificial ingredients mm. and they're not great for people to be drinking. Um, so I've thought about actually emailing that person who read who, who wrote that article and kind of like getting his opinion on it and also giving it giving him my opinion from a dietitian standpoint is that he's not looking at it from the food service side where if you send up a patient a smoothie with protein powder, avocado and all these expensive ingredients and they don't drink it, that's $20 down the drain. Right. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like it's kind of get, and it's and that's also going back to forming that network. So maybe me reaching out to this person could form a connection within the healthcare field. You should reach out to him. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of just like taking that leap and reaching yeah. out to oh, whoever yeah. you it got is. To. You got and to. And then all they can say is no. If they say no, try again. And exactly. If they say no, try again. And then exactly. eventually they'll get sick enough yeah. of you and they'll say, "Hey, <laughs> exactly. I'm responding now." <laughs> yeah, back to that. That's position. great. Yep. Well, let us know how that goes. If yeah, you do. I will absolutely. Um, how can we help you? I mean, we're trying to build this community, and is, if there's any way we can help you. Yeah, so, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before, um, but I think that this, the podcast and how, who, who you've been interviewing has formed a network for not only for me and for you and for the other people who have been interviewed, but also for the listeners who are now able to reach out to us, and then we can then connect it with other people that we know. Mm -hmm. So kind of forming this huge network within – a very small amount right. of people that you've that you've gotten started with, which is awesome. Um, but I was also thinking that I don't know how this works in the tech in the tech world because me and you are not very technically savvy. No, I am but, not. <laughs> um, I thought it would be kind of cool to maybe on like your on your website to kind of have some sort of like a um, an area where different people can post. Mm -hmm. So people who have been interviewed or just general people in the um, and the world can post different topics or updating on what they're doing with their life yeah. post, like post a, interview. Like a, like a what's, at, what's next. Yeah, like, what's like a what's happening. next yeah. feat, basically, <laughs> pretty much. Just yeah. kind of like, like – or a place to share photos or like if we ended up doing like a meetup mm -hmm. um, in the local area and, and I got a picture with you and then, and then the, the sisters, right. that would be a cool thing to post, you right. know? Mm -hmm. So just kind of like continuing that community and keeping right. that communication and it help, going. That would help us all. Yeah. I mean, it help us all. It would help us to get recognition of who we are. Right. And maybe you get some clients out of it. Maybe yep. the sisters get some clients out of exactly. it. Maybe we get some more people to interview out of it. And I think we're all just here to help each other. You know, exactly. it's not just one man for themselves. It's, it's yeah. a group. So. Yeah. I just wrote that down, and I'll be passing it on to the guys, and we'll make it happen. <laughs> um, a couple last questions. How can our listeners get in touch with you? I already plugged M the Dietitian. Yep. Um, and we already plugged the website. And by the way, on the website, it's not Emily with a Y. It's Emily, E-M-I-L-I-E. Yep. Burgess.com. Burgess. Yep. Go ahead. So all my information <laughs> for contacting me is on my website. So www.emiliburgess.com. Um, my contact information is there. My email. Uh, my Instagram is there. You can link on my website. Um, my uh, cell phone number. So you can feel free to give me a call. Um, <laughs> it could get dangerous. Oh, yeah. It could be dangerous. Um, so, yeah. That's kind of how I have posted my contact information on there. Great. And we'll post that up on the show notes when we post this. So okay. 
we'll link to all of the all your social media, all your websites, okay, etc. Awesome. We won't put your phone number on. But okay. Don't worry. Um, and then last question: uh, What's next for you, personally, yeah, so, professionally? So professionally, I hope like we talked about, I number one want to get involved in the sports nutrition world. I knowing that this industry is so small right now, it's very hard to break into. So I'm willing to take any opportunity I can get, whether that's volunteering, interning for free on weekends, during the weekdays at, at night. Um, so just trying to find some sort of little gig that can kind of get me started and just trying to get some hours. Um, and, and, and personally, I hope to be living in the Boston area full time mm-hmm. for at least a few years. Um, definitely traveling a little bit with the money that I hope to have more of in the future. <laughs> um, so definitely just getting out, traveling. I mean, I didn't really do a ton of traveling during college because um, I was so behind after athletics. And I just really want to take the time now while, while I'm young and don't have any kids. I'm not married right now. So just want to take that time to get out and see the world. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I mean, I hope all of us can can join this community and meet up travel whatever it is and uh and, it, and it's great so i mean i could talk to you all day all night but i won't i know you have to get on the road here but um thank you so much for coming on no, there you have it everybody um be sure to check out the show notes you'll have links to emily's website to her instagram um and be sure to check her out um i've referred a couple clients a couple people to her already and they've had great things to say so if you need either need to reach out to me reach out to her um let us know we're, we're all here to help you so family thank you so much we really appreciate it you're very welcome thank you and there you have it great episode with emily burgess i want to thank her again for coming on to the show um we had a lot of fun it was just her and i this time which is a little different but it was great uh, be sure to be sure to check her out. Go to emilyburgess.com and that's E-M-I-L-I-E-B-U-R-G-E-S-S.com. Um, you can check out the show notes as well and we'll put all of her info there. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for the next one. Uh, thanks again for listening, guys.